Hi, everyone. Hi, guys. Welcome well, back to the second to episode. Lives only. Yeah. Again. Every episode we do over Zoom, this is always a failed attempt in terms of <laughs> being in sync and audio. I feel like you guys are so sick of hearing this. Um, but yeah, yeah, Val, let's get into it. Yeah, so hi, everyone. Um, thanks for coming back. Um, again, we have some exciting new content. So thank you so much for coming back. Um, today, we have a very special guest. Um, we're very excited to introduce you to um, Jacob Stuckelman. We're going to introduce him, and he's going to talk all about his time. But basically, our episode today is going to be on producing. We've never really talked about this before, um, so we're really excited to cover this topic of theater. So, Jacob, please int- please introduce yourself. Oh, well, what a wonderful introduction, Val. Thank you so very much. Well, um yeah, I'm I'm Jacob Steppelman. Um, I live in New York. I'm a producer in New York City. I got into theater uh, pretty much because of my my two Jewish grandparents, my Bubby and Poppy. Um, you know, I saw theater from a very young age. You know, you know, my father taking me to see Phantom probably when I was like six and having no idea what's happening on stage, but loving um everyone's screaming and dancing their faces off and so you know my bubby and poppy also did the same thing taking me to see you know the 2006 revival of the chorus line seeing two gentlemen of verona in um shakespeare in the park with norm lewis and just being exposed to storytelling from a very young age um you know i was i was very you know privileged to just grow up outside of new york city so it was very accessible to me um, to be able to see theater and, and see Broadway. Seeing the 2006 revival of The Chorus Line and seeing the 2013 production of Pippin and, you know, just being exposed to theater from a very young age, I fell in love with, like, I would say the spectacle nature of theater um, before really understanding, like, the, you know, the managerial and creative side of storytelling. So um, it was pretty much my mother's and my grandparents and, you know, my father a little bit in there, you know, exposing me to theater from a very young age. Then from, from there kind of, um, not being a typical theater person, I didn't do, didn't, didn't go to sleepaway camp for theater. I didn't, um, do extracurricular activities for theater. I wasn't, you know, taking voice lessons, you know, absurdly. I was just, um, seeing theater throughout the year with my, with my family. And then, you know, doing the one, the one musical a year in my high school, um, was kind of my, um, my branching into the performance side of theater. But yeah, I, I guess I would say like the people that, you know, kind of exposed me to it, like I've been just saying, have, has, were my family and, um, you know, seeing all different types of theater and then eventually, you know, pursuing it, um, professionally didn't really come until like later, later in life. Yeah. So that's how I got like into seeing theater and, and loving, loving, uh, storytelling through live, live performance. Yeah. Amazing. Um, where'd you go to college by the way? Yeah, I went to, I went to Ithaca college, uh, for theater studies uh, in upstate New York, Ithaca. And what year did you graduate? Yeah, I graduated in 2019, so the year before the pandemic. So I was I was one of the lucky few who had a, a year out of work before um, the craziness that we're kind of still living in, uh, you know. So yeah, got it. Yeah, very cool. And so obviously, like you wanted, you were talking about how you always like were 
amazed by the spectacle of theater and you wanted to turn this into a career. How did you actually kind of pivot from like, okay, like I love this, I'm passionate about this to like, okay, like I want to like start making money off of this? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so funny because to like kind of give like, to answer, to just to be blunt, like when I was in high school, uh, it was my mother and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, right? Like so many of us, uh, I, it was, I didn't know that theater was a viable option financially or career wise. And it was actually my mother, um, who turned to me and was like, I think you should go to school for theater. And I thought it was absurd. I was like, you can't make money in theater. Right. (laughs) You know, and like, you know, coming from, you know, growing up in Westchester County, New York, where with a lot of just, um, privileged and entitled people, you know, my my high school wasn't really telling me well what are the ivy leagues of theater right no one was talking about you know the michigans the ithacas the carnegie mellons um you know and, and variety of other schools syracuse uh, regardless uh, baldwin wallace boko no one was telling me about like oh there are th- uh performing arts undergrad institutions that foster um young artists to to talk about how you can have a, a career in the arts and so um, it was my mother, like I said, who was the one who was like, you should go to school for theater. And I was like, haha, it's a joke. Um, but I ended up doing it. <laughs> I ended up going to Ithaca, like I said, for theater studies. And, um, you know, after my freshman year, I was steadfast. I wanted to be a director because I loved the creative side of theater. But then um, soon learned um, that I didn't want to be uh, a director. I landed a internship at the Circle in the Square Theater. Um, and they asked, they were basically like, we're not a nonprofit, right? Like Manhattan theater club around about, we're just a piece of real estate. But if you want to mop floors and file paperwork for our school in our basement, you can do that. And I said, absolutely. And so, um, from there, it allowed me to see, because I was at the theater all the time, it allowed me to see the show that was playing on their Broadway space upstairs many times I wanted to. And at the time fun home was playing, um, and that kind of show was like the show that was like, you know, I think this is, this is what I want to do. I want to bring people into a room who are, who are passionate about the same things that I'm passionate about. Um, and so I made it to point, I made it a point, excuse me, to just meet as many people as I could in the theater from the in-house general manager, Susan Frankel, to the box office people, to you know, the theater owner, Paul Libin, and really just immersing myself in like, what, how, how do you have a career in the arts? And at the time I was 18 years old, had no idea what I was doing. Still have no idea what I'm doing. But at the time I even had more, more of an, I had no idea what I was doing back then. And so it was just kind of those people who kind of, I guess would um, kind of, you know, show, um, put a light on how to create a piece of art from the bottom up from a commercial side of theater, which is Broadway and, 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 and kind of seeing how it can be financially viable, not only for the shows themselves, but for the people making it. Um, and so I would say that experience kind of shepherded me into, um, the rest of my career of wanting to pursue, um, creative producing and, and, and management and company management and general management, um, after working at Circle and Square. Yeah. I would have to say. And to kind of go back to the cool, go back, just go back to that really quick, Josh. It's like I think I'm, I think everyone in the arts is still trying to figure out how to make a living off being an artist, right? Like I don't think it just like stops, right? Like you can be in a Broadway show uh, for a year and then not book a show for another ten years, unless it's like how are you make how are you living in those in those ten years of not working, right? So I think it's like a ongoing question that we all live with is like well you know one moment we can have a job but then the next moment you never know so totally and um i guess 
how so how did that what was what was your first like project that you got to like put your name behind yeah and how did you get into that yeah so after after circle in the square um I went, you know I, I i made like a point i was like okay every summer i'm gonna try to do something that's my own and this and the school and the school year is going to be the time for me to learn and absorb and understand the creative side of theater because i felt that like understanding the managerial and the financial side of theater was best going to come by actively working in the industry and fucking up. Like, sure, you, I can open up a book about producing, but I felt like in order to absorb the most amount, it was going to be being a New Yorker. You know, I always say New York isn't the end all be all for theater. For me, it was because I lived here. Um, but being in New York and just absorbing and learning as much as I can from other people. Um, and so after my sophomore year, I came back to New York to work at Nymph, which is the New York Musical Festival, um, which is no longer <laughs> running, sadly. Um, but I worked there and simultaneously I produced um, a concert at 54 Below called Women of the World, which highlighted on the underrepresentation of women writers and composers and lyricists. And that was like my first thing in New York. That I was, I was like 19 and I, again, had no idea what I was doing and raised a little bit of money and kind of just like threw a bunch of people together and, and, and tried to kind of get uh, people excited about something that's so an issue and so important in our industry and in the arts, um, the representation of women. And so that was, I guess, my first thing that like I, I, I put my name on. It was so small and stupid, but obviously instrumental in like me understanding that I wanted to be a producer and, and kind of delegate and get people excited about ideas and so that was a really thrilling experience and then again like it kind of just like continued to roll i i you know there were so many other things that kind of um blended into one another went to go live in london uh and worked at a marketing company called aka came back to new york um worked for uh a, the lead producer of wicked and Exonormal, david stone where i worked on like um uh, under him and his two associates. And then I guess the biggest thing for me that was like my big, big name on a full production um, was this production of Little Shop of Horrors inside a flower shop, right? So it was a site-specific production of Little Shop. Um, the flower shop was open, up, was open during the day and then there'd be a full-scale per- performance at night. Um, that was my first like lead producing project that we ran for two weeks. So yeah, it was kind of like 54 below at a flower shop. <laughs> Yeah. And so I remember you you had just said that you were, um, you were kind of interested in in directing. So what made you switch from directing to producing? Yeah. I, I don't know what exactly what, what like (laughs) what happened to my brain for me to be like, I don't want to direct anymore. Um, I think the biggest thing about producing that I loved so much was the ability to work with so many different people. Right. I think like, even as a director, you are working with many other individuals outside of just the creative team. But I felt like um, with producing, you know, I really wanted to understand the vocabulary of every aspect from the marketing, from the managerial to the creative, um, to the ticketing, you know, to press, like all those things I want, they, they all kind of blend into one another in a very creative way. So I found that like I can use my creativity in the way I manage shows um not necessarily you know staging them um which is exciting to me and but it's it's not 
um, it didn't wake me up in the morning. I think what gets me excited is, is combining the two is of like creating concepts with people, commissioning people to adapt things and, and to adapt concepts, but also being the one who's managing the financial structures of these shows and how we can make them profitable and make them make sense commercially, but also regionally, um, not necessarily just on Broadway, but around, around the country and, and the world, how can they be viable options for, for audiences, uh, and so, yeah, I would say like, I think it was the experience at Circle in the Square that was like meeting Susan Frankel, who's the in-house general manager and her telling me like what she does for the theater. And that kind of got me excited. And she was telling me the people that she interacts with, because I mean, I always say like, what's the point of doing theater if you're going to do it alone, right? There's no point, right? This industry is about collaboration. And so whatever can get me to be in the room with them, with as many collaborators as possible, I felt like for me, it was producing, but um you know, I, I, not to say that directors don't do, if anything, directors do a bit more, but, um, you know, I just kind of felt this draw to like, um, you know, kind of be the one at the top, I guess, like kind of working, you know, kind of working my way down of like hiring the director. Right. Like, I think that's what got me excited too. was like being able to be like, Oh, I have this incredible project written by this, you know, queer woman. Well, Oh, let me, I know this amazing queer, uh, director, female identifying director who I'd love to like pair with this writer. Like that got me excited more than like reading something and, and seeing how it translates on stage. Right. So it's hard. I mean, they're both different skill sets and, and, and directors are, are fucking geniuses. Um, you know, and, and so it's, it's, it's a, I don't know exactly what the moment was for me, but I think I kind of just like kind of figured it out. I kind of was just like, I like to produce. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, I get so. So, what has been your? So, you've always you've obviously done a lot since then. I mean, because you graduated college in twenty nineteen, and because, although the pandemic, but I know that you've done some things. So, what has been, what has been the most eye opening thing you have worked on in your career thus far? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like two. It's twofold, right? I think like one is like, what is the project that like you know, was what's like, what was like an amazing experience, like holistically from every aspect. And then like, what was an amazing process because of the work. And I, I mean, like, because of like, you know, for example, right. Like little shop to me to this day probably was one of the most rewarding experiences because it reminded me of why I love theater and why I want to pursue theater. Um, because, you know, you take two flower shop owners who know nothing about theater right? Or excuse me, one flower shop owner who knows nothing about theater, right? Or how to produce theater. And I come in there at, you know, wanting to take over an entire flower shop for multiple months and her being very apprehensive. But by the end of the process, her being so enamored by what can be created and so in love with the arts and in love with storytelling, like that's the reason why I do theater. Like it's to, it reminds me of why I got invested in theater in the first place when I was like five years or six years old or whatever that may be. Like, I think that's why I, I do theater is to get people who aren't traditional theater lovers to love the arts. Right. So I think little shop to me was probably the most rewarding thing creatively and just like, holistic experience because of the ability to um, capture someone's attention who isn't necessarily a theater person. And then, you know, being a co-producer on Seawall Life, even though I wasn't as um, involved 
artistically and creatively, more just on the financial side, being a part of Sea Wildlife for Jake Gyllenhaal and Tom Sturridge, you know, that was like probably one of the most incredible experiences because I love the play. I love Simon Stevens as a writer. I love Nick Payne as a writer. And I think being able to be a part of two, um, you know, critically acclaimed award-winning playwrights um, is, is exciting to me. Uh, and also, you know, I saw that show at the public theater and cr- couldn't stop crying. I think it's such a cathartic piece of theater. And I want to be a part of projects that, um, you know, kind of do that not only for myself, but for audiences. And so I think I have multiple things that get me excited for different reasons. Um, you know, so like I said, like little shop, because like, that was like, you know, my brainchild, um, you know, and then seawall life was just like my first, uh, co-pro thing. Um, you know, that I was able to, and it was a unique experience, um, because I don't co-produce that often. Um, so how was meeting Jake Gyllenhaal? Be honest. Oh, you know, like I got to sit across from him from in a room, but you know, wasn't wasn't I wasn't having lunch with Jake Gyllenhaal. Let me just say that you know I got to see his, his you know, his eyes and his hair and him talking in the room about the show. But definitely, do not right. I don't have Jake Gyllenhaal on speed dial. I'll just say that. <laughs> right. You you didn't talk to him about all too well ten minute version. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, well, I asked him if he had the red scarf, but I don't know. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Exactly. I think, like, you know, I, I tend to not co-produce that often just because, like, I like to be a part of processes where I am actually artistically, like, working on things. And the co-producing is, you know, you're pretty much a, you're raising money for the show and advocating for the show, but you're not in the room you know, working on the production from the marketing to the press. But, um, you know, so when it comes to like Broadway producing, you know, Seawall Life has, was my, was my first thing. And, you know, there'll be things hopefully in the future that are my own, right. That are my projects that I've, that I've shepherded. So, um, but yeah, Seawall Life was a very unique and exciting experience. Awesome. Um, okay. I guess my next question is kind of, more, I guess, about, like, the logistical side. So, since you have worked on many so many projects, how does the whole, like, raising funds, like, raising capital for a show actually work? Like, I know a lead producer, obviously, is in charge of, like, gathering the investments, but, like, how does... Can you give us, like, a general gist of how that works? Yeah, like, I think, you know, it's one of the... It, for, for many producers, it's, like, the least favorite part of being a producer, right? Is, like, having to raise the money. Um, you know, and there's different types of producers, right? There's a lead producer... Uh, and a co-producer, associate producers, right? A lead producer is basically the one who is shepherding the project from like conception to, you know, to its final product, right? They're the ones who are, you know, sometimes acquiring rights to novels or acquiring rights to films and adapting those films into into musicals, right? So a lead producer is really the one who's shepherding all things from the budget with the general manager to the marketing to the press to ticketing they're the ones who are proving everything and they're the ones who kind of like i said are are leading the charge from the creative managerial and financial side of things um right a co-producer basically is just someone who um you know is raising money uh on behalf of the lead producer right so a lead producer will seek out co-producers to raise to have them be a part of the project from a financial side but very rarely is a co-producer um someone who is making decisions on marketing um, and ticketing and, you know, artistic liberty, like they're not really involved in that regard. Um, they are more so of a fundraiser. 
Um, but you know, co- you know, co-producers are you know are somewhat uh, necessary in you know in the Broadway landscape because Broadway shows cost so much, um, and so it's very it's very it's really hard for any individual to raise you know twenty upwards from fifteen to twenty million dollars by themselves, right? Um, and so that's why we have co-producers not only to you know share the wealth but also to um, allow access to. Uh, sometimes very, very exciting, high caliber productions. Um, you know, so the actual raising of funds for Broadway, uh, you know, it's, it's a very specific type of person, right? You know, th- what Broadway does is, you know, all of them, I like to say they're all operates individual businesses, right? Like Broadway has the, the Broadway league, which oversees a lot of the trade. It's a trade organization for Broadway. Um, it does a lot of collecting collective bargaining agreements with the unions and such, but, there isn't like a company for Broadway, right? Like every single Broadway show is, is an independent business. They all have independent LLCs. They have all have independent operating agreements. And so um, when it comes to raising money for Broadway shows, you have to be what's called an accredited investor. You know, you have to be uh, someone who has a certain amount of income or wealth. So the meet, so basically if, if you invest, if, if you, like for example, I can't invest in theater because, first of all, I'm not that rich. <laughs> but if I were to invest in theater with whatever money I do have and lost it all, right, the show doesn't want to be held responsible. So accredited investors are individuals who have the ability, you know, it, might, it, it still sucks to lose money on a Broadway show or any, any time, right, but have the ability to lose, you know, the, their investment, right? So they're what's called an accredited investor, and they file their paperwork with the Security of Exchange, a bunch of boring legal jargon that I'm not that I'll spare you right now. But um, you know, raising money is probably the hardest thing, not only at the Broadway level, but at the off Broadway level and the off off Broadway level. Right? Create, you know, creating art in New York isn't cheap. Um, you know, so for me, um, you know, it's twofold. Right? There are certain projects where you want to get people who are who who want you want to get people part of projects where it's a lucrative investment financially, you know, for example, for Seawall Life, you know, having Jake Gyllenhaal be a part of it, you know, being on Broadway, there's something exciting about that to investors and the possibility to make money. But then there's also a way to pitch a project where it's why is the art important to produce now? And here's why you can be a part of something um, that is exclusive and exciting, not only because of the financial incentive, but because it is doing something different that hasn't been done on Broadway before, blah, 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 blah. So there's a lot of different tools and a lot of different, um, perspectives. And look, every producer raises money differently. So they're probably, there's probably someone listening to this to being, being like, oh, Jacob Suckleman, that fucking idiot. You know, like he has, he has no idea what he's talking about. And I don't know what I'm talking about, but you know, there are people who just operate differently and I operate from a place of, from just like empathy and art and storytelling first. And then a lot, you know, I always say with good art, the money will come, but uh, it's tough. It's tough to raise money. That was so interesting. Thank you so much for explaining that. I feel like that was like a really great, solid explanation of how like investing works and how like raising money works that we, I I know I've always wondered. So that was like really awesome. Um, And I guess before we like, wrap it up into our final little things. Um, what's next for you? Oh my God. Well, what's next? I mean, so I, you know, I work for a company, um, called bomb theatrical. Um, um, I work, uh, as their finance and special projects manager. And 
Bond Theatrical specifically is a booking and marketing agency for Broadway shows um, and dabbles in a little bit sometimes with, with the Broadway scene here, but mostly focuses on um, booking and marketing for Broadway tours. And so that's my, you know, cause, you know, let me tell you, you don't get paid to be a producer, right? Unless your show hits big, you need a full-time job, right? So I have my producing projects and I have a full-time job on Broadway um, and it's a lot. But so but that's my full-time job working for Bond Theatrical. Um you know, working on the financial side for the, for the organization at bond and, and contracting and stuff like that. Um, but in my producing slate, you know, I have a couple of projects in development. Um, one of which is called, um, other people's houses, um, which is a, uh, adaptation of this novel called other people's houses by Lori Siegel, um, which I acquired the underlying rights to, which, um, is currently in development by, uh, Emily Feldman and Daniel Auken. Um, who are both incredible artists. Daniel is a director um, who directed um, Sam Rockwell and Sam Shepard's Fools for Love on Broadway. He did admissions at Lincoln Center. He, um, he's doing Catch as Catch Can at Playwrights Horizons this fall. Um, and Emily Feldman being a Juilliard fellow um, and in-resident playwright at Manhattan Theatre Club. Um, her play, The Best We Could Have Family Tragedy, was going to have a premiere at Manhattan Theatre Club in May of 2019, May of 2020, but it got it got rescheduled. Um, but they're both phenomenal artists, so that's in development. We go into a workshop, uh, devised workshop at the Playwright Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota at the end of August, so in the next two weeks. Um, so that's that. Um, I have uh, this play called I'm Going to Marry You, Toby Maguire, um, which is about a 14-year-old girl who kidnaps Toby Maguire and pins him to a pole in her basement to convince him to marry her. Uh, so it's a really serious drama. No, it's a it's a farce that uh, we were do we've done um, about three workshops uh, now, and we're going to have a full production. I'm excited to say, announcing live, we're having a full production next summer uh, in New York City. I'm not going to say where, but it's happening downtown. Um, so that will run in New York. Oh my God, I can't wait to come. Yeah, you'll have to come. Everyone buy tickets. So yeah, that's yeah. Cool. That's going to be um, downtown, uh, a downtown nonprofit. Hopefully we'll be running um, multiple weeks, hopefully five, but that's happening next summer, um, which will be really exciting. Uh, I have another one called Foul Play. That's about these two queer writers who get approached by the CEO of Chick-fil-A to write an apology musical to the gay community. Um that's directed by John Tartaglia from Avenue Q, and it stars Rosé from RuPaul's Drag Race, um, which is really exciting. And then, um, yeah, I have some other fires in the can that I, I don't want to say just yet because we don't know what's happening with them. But working with this amazing indie indie singer-songwriter indie singer who lives in the, uh, the U.K., um, who just finished her U.S. tour and European tour this past year. Um, and so we're in a collaboration agreement to hopefully write a musical. She's amazing and she's phenomenal. Um, and yeah, and then a uh, bunch of other fun things, hopefully, you know, we'll see. I did too much. Oh my God. <laughs> no, that you, you are really, you're, you're like stern. You're get you're ready for, I feel like you're going to have a roller coaster of a year coming up. I know. Um, I can't even imagine how busy it's going to get, but I'm so excited to see all of these things. Seriously, these are all the most, like, clever, like, unique pieces of theater I've even heard of. Yeah, like, I know. I, I'm so, especially that Chick-fil-A one, I'm so excited. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. You know, we just, uh, we did a workshop back in December and learned a lot about what the piece, um, what's, you know, what's really exciting about the piece, what gets audiences excited about the piece, 
Um, and so we're going to head back into development and over the next couple of months. We did um, a main stage performance at Playbill Pride in Times Square, which is really exciting. And we've got to showcase the songs. People got excited by it. And so, um, you know, it's a really hilarious um, production, but it also has a lot to say about, um, you know, just like capitalism and society and, and queerness. And so it'll be exciting to be a part of uh, be a part of that project. So a lot of fun things. You know, and you know, gotta keep, gotta keep going. You gotta keep going. So, no, that's all very interesting. So, I feel like you said a lot of like new pieces of theater coming and everything. So, have you? It seems like you're more excited by like new work. Have you ever thought about you know going into producing into current shows or you know revivals? Yeah, I mean, I think like right, like as I get hopefully older in my career. But say younger in age, haha. Um, you know, I think that in time I'll be able to, you know, acquire rights to kind of shows that have been pre-existing, right? Being able to do a revival of, I don't know, another revival of Carousel. You know, I, I'm not going to do a revival of Carousel, but being able to revive things that are that are already existing, I think, comes with time and patience and unfor- and, and money, right? Um, so the way in for me now into those stuff, into those projects, right, is by um, knowing the lead producers of, of, of projects that are existing now where I can be a co-producer, um, which is of interest to me. But like I've, I said earlier, it's like I need to be unapologetically passionate about the piece to just be a co-pro on something, right? Like Seawall Life. I was obsessed with the writing. I was obsessed with the artists involved and I wanted to be a part of it no matter what. And so I raised some money for that. But um you know, there, there is a production happening um, that I can't say, but it'll be announced soon that I might be involved with, maybe. We'll see. Um, but, you know, I think for me right now, um, you know, I want to invest my my time, my creative energy and my and my and my and my managerial and financial abilities on my own projects, because I think so often young producers in this industry um, including myself, because I'm a young producer and, and still green, right? Jump onto Broadway shows because I think co-producing is the way to be a producer, right? To me, like be, being having a Tony Award to me doesn't really mean anything, right? Like at the end of the day, you know, spoiler alert, when you win a Tony Award, you have to pay for it, okay? You pay for the award, right? You pay for the actual statue, right? So for me, like, What's ex- I, I always say this, I don't really care if I'm ever famous. I don't really want to be. What I want to happen is people to recognize and, and my work to speak for itself. For people to be like, holy shit, like, did you see that production of X? Like, I am obsessed with this, right? The same way, like, people are obsessed with, you know, spelling being next to normal, you know, and, and, and other, and, and Wicked, right? They're, people are like, oh my God, I love Town, right? But like, if you ask that person who loves Town, like, who's the lead producer of Town? They're going to be like, what's a lead producer, right? Like, and that's kind of how I want to exist. Like, I kind of want people to be excited by the story and what they're seeing and experiencing. Um, because again, like I said, it's it's not about me. It's not about any individual, right? It's about the impact that these stories have on people's lives and how people can be inspired by um, live performance and, um, and by theater. And so for me, that's what's most exciting. Um, and so, yeah, I do think I'll in in, the, in time I'll be a part of larger uh, current productions and revivals. But you know, uh, you know, patience, patience, patience. Definitely. Um, 
That's really interesting, actually, and that, I mean, that, and that's actually true. I could not, I could not name a producer. I am guilty, but I could not name a producer at all. Um, exactly. But honestly, Jacob, I've, I have a suggestion. I think you should write, or I think you should produce. Sorry, not write a Harry Styles musical. Oh, of course. Mm, I mean, so of good. course. I mean, let me tell you. He's so good. I wish. He's so good. Let me tell you, we first got to get Lady Gaga to be in a musical, then we can get Harry to do something. Yeah, I think she could do it. Oh, she's gonna. She, you. she here. has it in her. It's just a matter of if she's gonna do it. It's just a matter of, like, what she does, you know? So. Totally. We'll see, you know? What about could totally. we make a star? We could make a Star Is Born a musical. And I think that they're could working be... on it. I think they're like trying to adapt it. Um, so, of course they are. Yeah, of course they are. They should. It's a great. It's a great musical. Yeah. Okay. Before we end, we always like to ask our guests um, one very important question, which for some reason you'd think they'd ask on every podcast, but they don't. So now we've kind of made this our thing, which is, what is your favorite musical ever, and why? Oh my god. I don't think that, like, I, you know, I love certain shows for different reasons, right? I don't ever have, like, a favorite, I think. Like, I think, like, there are reasons why I love Spring Awakening. There are reasons why I love, you know, what else? You know, like, Merrily Be Real. Like, there are different reasons why I love certain things. But I'll give you an answer. I would have to say my favorite musical of all time has, has, has probably got to be Sunday in the Park with George. Um, you know, I think like there is no musical theater score that comes close to what Sondheim is doing in that, in those orchestrations and arrangements. It is, it is quite genius. Um, you know, so, and I feel so just like, I saw that production with Jake Gyllenhaal at the Hudson Theater in 2016, 2017. And I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I also like, you know, but for example, like I love Bridges, Bridges and Madison County. Like I think the music of Bridges and Madison County by Jason R. Brown is beautiful music. I think Parade has beautiful music, right? But I think, uh, I think a bunch of, I think I love things for different reasons. But I'll, I'll, for this podcast, I'll, I'll give, um, I'm going to give Sunday in the Park with George. All right. Yeah. So thank you, Jacob, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We had a ton of fun having him on. I hope you all enjoy learning about producing and all that good stuff. Um, Jacob, feel free to um, talk about yourself. But please remember to keep telling your friends to follow Broadway Vibes Only Podcast on Instagram. You can listen to us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Music, etc. Um, and yet, Jacob, I'll give it to you. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Jacob underscore Stuckelman, S-T-U-C-K-E-L-M-A-N. Um, and, and that's it. I, I have a Twitter, but I don't use it. So if you want to find me on Twitter and follow me, have a good time. But Instagram is the way to go. So Great. Okay. And then we always like to let our guests outro with a song. So any song that's been on your mind, any song you're listening to right now that you want to outro with. Why don't we do, oh, you know, there's, oh, the new 1975 song. Let's do that. Happiness. Great. All right. Cue happiness. Thank you so much for coming on with us, Jacob. We really appreciate it. And see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.
sound. Name of the album. Name of the band. Lights out. Dirty hit. Chopsicle.